Hi, this is Katie, and thank you for joining me on the My Senses, My Space podcast. And today I wanted to talk about family and the, it's kind of hard to explain, the culture of your family, the um, conditions that possibly have been handed down through your family. Um, And I'm talking about like chronic health conditions or um, any kind of neurodiversity and how within our families we can be in these little bubbles that um, can swing many different ways. Sometimes they just are, right? And I'm trying to extract the, you know, family relationships that we have that some kind sometimes can cause a lot of strife. But what I'm really talking about is like how when in the family, things are kind of normalized or are typical within our own lineage, um, it can be that we aren't quite getting the proper diagnosis if, and proper, <laughs> what is proper, if it's something that's happening to many of the family members. So especially with neurodivergency, we can kind of take on this culture of like, well, you know, maybe we all kind of talk fast or think fast or talk slower or think slower. And it's not something that needs to kind of be looked at a little bit more deeply because everyone's kind of doing it. And so we all kind of understand each other when that's happening. But then when we are communicating with other people outside of our family, they're like, what, what's going on? How, how does that work? Um, I'm not understanding you or there's like terminology or common words, um, in our vernacular that we all use within the family. And that's just kind of typical for how we go about our daily lives or um, even health conditions that can be passed down that it's like, oh, well, they're always this had trouble with this or um, and I'm not talking about like being diagnosed, like having those diagnoses handed down, like that's kind of addressing the problems, um, conditions. I shouldn't necessarily call them problems, but conditions that people are um, experiencing. And it just depends if it's something that is worth pursuing getting a formal diagnosis about. We can, if it benefits your life to have a diagnosis so that you can go and get treatment that you need, then that's kind of like a key unlocking a door. And it, it depends though if that is worth it for you for most health conditions as like in your bodily health, that can be extremely important. But if it's a diagnosis of say ADHD or something, and you feel like you want to self-diagnose, which is, um, completely um, valid to do because there can be a lot standing in the way between you and the diagnosis, whether it's having the insurance, having the money to get tested, because those tests can be very expensive, especially with autism. Um, 
or like any kind of label that might be applied to you um, that could be used against you. Um, I know a lot of people worry about that and I think there are ways of getting the diagnosis so that the label doesn't harm you. But there is a lot of fear around that, of having that label and then what happens after that point. But we can also look at it as that, especially with children, having these diagnoses can lend to having um, learning support, having, um, you know, IEPs or 504s within the school system so that they can get the help that they need. Um, but it's really interesting because yes, a lot more kids are getting diagnosed now because we've had these conditions um, coming down uh, through our family tree. And for me, I found it really interesting to start looking back up my family tree and seeing the neurodiversity that lives within it. Um, and that's what I mostly want to speak to on the personal level. I'm not going to go through my medical history, but I think it's really interesting to look at my own parents and see two different kinds of neurodiversity mixing together to form my own and to see that, you know, probably my father was autistic and, um, he has passed now, so we can't, you know, talk to him much about it, but there were a lot of signs there um, later that I didn't even realize, you know, as a, a child growing up, you don't realize, um, a lot of the conditions that your parents have until much later. And you're then coming across them. But, um, we found it really interesting to go, wait a minute, you know, not, not a lot, but I look at my son now who has been diagnosed with autism and then look at my father and kind of see some similarities. Yet every person who has a condition is different, right? There is no, um, well, if you're autistic, you always behave this way. It's not about that or always react this way. It's not about that. Um, but it is really interesting to see how all of the ingredients to your own form of neurodiversity kind of add up to be you. And I know for myself, I am proud of like who I am. I would not want to take away any of those things from who I am um, in my own mixture. But I also don't feel the need to get a formal diagnosis because I have formal diagnoses in like many chronic health conditions, but um, multiple anyway. But I don't feel the need to say it's exactly this kind of neurodiversity because I know I'm neurodiverse. I know that for a fact. What it is, I I also believe that um, a lot of women especially are often misdiagnosed or not properly diagnosed. So the way that women and even non-binary people present um, with neurodiversity cannot be according to the textbook. So, um, and many people who are in the position of diagnosing people <laughs> 
may you may run against them and say like no this is really kind of going on for me and they'll be like nope it doesn't match the textbook and then you're not receiving the support that you need so for me personally i didn't feel like i needed to go that route because i really don't have any i'm not looking for further support in that area but i do find it really interesting to then also look at aunts and uncles and see like, oh, I'm, I'm starting to see some patterns and how the family was like typically this way that they would kind of talk in a certain way or communicate in a certain way that was just kind of accepted as the, the typical normal way <laughs> that we would all talk. Um, and that's kind of what kind of makes up the culture of that. And I'm talking about culture as in just um, the interactions of people and understanding each other and accepting what um, what each other's conditions are, how they choose to live, how they, um, you know, set up their homes, how they go about their daily lives, their, their choices in um, any kind of spiritual beliefs, anything like that to me kind of makes up culture, especially neurodiversity. And then culture can go beyond that to include, um, any kind of backgrounds, um, beyond that. Like there's, there's many different ways to talk about culture, but I'll just kind of, that's just kind of surfacy of, what it's like to kind of be within neurodivergency culture um, and just that aspect of it. So if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I, so I would love to talk about this more. If anyone would um, like to come on, I actually want to have an open invitation to see if anyone would love to talk about their family culture within could be chronic illness, but mostly kind of around like a neurodivergency. Um, I would love to interview you and see like, as long as you're comfortable with the amount that you want to share and we don't have to like talk about any names, but what was it like for you to grow up within a household or a family that had similar ways of thinking and talking and, and like doing things? What was that like for you? So if you'd like to share, you know, look in my show notes, give me, you know, a DM or an email or anything like that. And I'd love to interview you. So, and also if you're enjoying these <laughs> podcasts, I would love for you to rate it on either iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening from. So Thank you for joining me this week, and I will see you next time on the My Senses, My Space podcast.